Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going to talk about those little annoying rattles, buzzes, and twangs that you sometimes find your instrument producing. And I'm going to share with you some of my experiences over 45 years of doing this um, about how you may be able to diagnose some of these um, annoying little sounds that sometimes come from your fabulous instrument. So we're going to get to that. That's that's what the whole show is about. But I want to, of course, do a little bit of housekeeping here. The first thing I want to mention is that my son Jackson and I have launched a little forum. It's a forum just for listeners of Grass Talk Radio. Now, I admit, anybody could drift along the Internet and potentially find the forum and uh, join in. But they're not going to know about it. The only people who are really going to know about it are the listeners to the show. And this is sort of a little experiment. And today's episode is, in fact, a great example of why I want to do this little forum. And before I talk about the forum in depth, I want to tell you that I did this, I tried this about 12 years ago. I did the same thing. I started a little forum. And that forum was specifically for people who were using my books, Mandolin Masterclass, Mandolin Training Camp, Mandolin Excursion, and the Mandolin Handbook. And I just put up a little forum because I would get emails from people. And they would ask me a question. And then I would sit there and I would type and write this long reply to them. And, you know, maybe they got their answer, but nobody else did. And then along couple weeks later, here would come the same type of question from someone else. And then the next person, same basic question. So a lot of these questions, it, w- it was predictable is what I'm saying. And I thought, well, if somebody could just ask their question on this little forum, and then I answer it there, that might save somebody some time. They could take a look at the forum and, well, let's see. You know, let's see what he has to say about this. And in other words, if I could compile all of the replies to emails that I have done over the years, where somebody's asking a question about harmony singing, about what kind of strings to use, about picks and truss rod adjustments and everything. I've gotten questions about everything. Because you write a book and you sort of put yourself out there in the public arena And then people say, well, you know, and I've encouraged it and I still encourage it. Send me an email. I've been saying that since probably episode one. I'm not against that. But when I finish typing my reply and I hit send, I often think that there are probably a hundred other people out there with the same question who didn't write and who will never read the reply. So that's the purpose of the forum. I tried it 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. It wasn't uh, very popular. And then the site that created, that was hosting it, it was one of these free forums, set up your own free forum. 
and uh, one day it was just gone. I don't, I don't really know what happened. I guess the whole concept of everything is free is sort of hard to keep going. <laughs> anyway, I've done it again with Jackson's help this time because he is now my tech guru. And uh, we set up a new little forum. Now, if you picture Banjo Hangout or picture Mandolin Cafe, that's what it is. It's the same thing where you go on, you sign up for an account, you get a, uh, you, you know, you create a username and a password and you're in. And all the usual stuff, you can have a little profile, you can put an avatar on there, you can, you can do as much or as little with it as you want. What is significantly different about this is, let's say you were to go to, go to Banjo Hangout and ask a question. You're likely, and, and this is a good thing, you're likely to get 10, 15 answers to that within a week. Maybe less. You might get it within an hour. And then somebody, see, here, here's the problem I'm trying to eliminate. Just for you. And that is the glut of information. There are too many answers. Too many threads. There are, I can't remember the number, 1.6 million posts on Manlin Cafe. And there might be, for your particular question, a dozen that are the perfect answer. But you got to wade through all this stuff. You have to search and you, you have to look at all these old threads back from, you know, 2009 or something where some guy asked a question and, you know, eight people answered it. And then you also have the problem of, well, if you're getting eight answers to your question, how do you know which ones you can rely on and which ones you don't? Sometimes the answers directly conflict with each other. I think I told the story one time. I'll just briefly do it again. The example I, I once used was imagine, and I was using my wife as an example, that she's driving down the road. She begins to have a little car trouble, and she pulls into an old country gas station, and uh, the car's not running right. She opens the hood up, and five old geezers get up from their rocking chairs and come and stand around looking under the hood. And one says, well, it's, it's your spark plug wires. And one says... It's your timing belt, and one says it's your this, and one next one says it's probably this, and it's it's probably your your ignition module, and and everybody's got an idea, and they're trying to be helpful, but when it comes down to it, which one of those five guys is actually going to get under the hood and start working on that thing and try to fix it? Now there could be one in there, it could be one, but that's very much like the forum experience. You post your question. And immediately, you have all these wonderful people giving you their opinions and thoughts. And But the problem is, you ask the question, so you don't know the answer, I presume. I, I think there are some people who go on there and sometimes ask a question that they already do know the answer to or would be perf perfectly capable of determining the answer to. But, you know, they just enjoy conversation. That's cool, too. That's why there are, you know over a million uh, posts on some of these sites. You know, it's fun to just sit around and shoot to breeze about this stuff. But 
the problem is you just don't have much way of knowing who to rely upon, it, it, which answer makes the most sense. And the difference with my little forum that I've just set up is that after listening to me yak for 170 plus episodes, I think you sort of know me. You know a little of my history. You know, I, I've admitted to what I know about and I've, you know, uh, tried to dissuade you from thinking I'm an expert on other subjects and so on. You kind of have an idea who you're talking to. Now, that doesn't mean everything I've ever said or will say on this podcast is the absolute truth. I don't claim that. But what I'm saying is if you have a question that you think I could answer, you know, the guy that created all those video lessons for Clawhammer Banjo and wrote the dulcimer instruction course and the bass instruction course and the mandolin stuff and who has made all these podcasts, if you think there's a question that I might be able to answer, I will try to answer it. But I just think it'd be better if you asked it on the forum. And you might send me an email, say, hey, I just posted a question on the forum. Go over there and look at it. Because as of right now, we have exactly three forum users. That's me, Jackson, and Stephen T. Smith. That's it right now. It's a very quiet place. So if you don't like crowds, and, you know, imagine... It's like going to the state fair or something. Sometimes I just want to go off in the corner, find a little picnic table somewhere and eat my chili dog. I really don't want to be, I don't like big masses of people. <laughs> but when you ask a question in a place that has thousands and thousands of users, you're going to get thousands and thousands, potentially, of answers. And you're going to go away just as confused as when you arrived. This is different. If you like a little solitude, now I'm not saying don't participate in those other forums. I get in there and fool around some, and they're, they're great resources. I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying if you want a little place where you could post, and this would be doing yourself a service and the fellow listeners. That is, when you ask a question and I give you my ideas, other people can also jump in and say, well, you know, Brad, you didn't think about this. What, what about this other possibility. So it's just a little place where we can talk, basically. I've got a little section set up for podcast suggestions, like topic suggestions, guest suggestions, that kind of thing. I got a little thing called the GTR Pub, which is just a place to hang out. You can talk about pretty much anything. Now, of course, as uh, king and god of this forum, you know, I'm going to I, I believe in free speech, but I also want to kind of remain on topic more, more or less. Like I've done with this podcast, I have not come on here preaching um, religion, politics. I mean, I, I touch on those subjects sometimes, but I don't, uh, you know, that's not what it's about. This is about bluegrass, and so is that. So it, what, it, what it is, it's a place where you can go over there, sign up, very simple process, and, you know, you just heard an episode and you got a little question or a little comment or something, put it in there. And then the other listeners can also go there and do the very same thing. And this is a place that I can drop in. And I know that for the majority, you know, the majority of people there are people who are listening to these shows. So how do you find it? I don't have the site in front of me, but it's very simple. 
Um, back about a week ago, I put a little banner on grasstalkradio.com. That long list of episodes. And if you, if, if you listen through other means, through, you know, Stitcher and iTunes and Apple Podcasts and all that stuff, that's great. And I appreciate you doing that. I really do. I don't really care where you find the podcast. But the resources are over there on grasstalkradio.com. If you go there, you'll read my full-blown description, sometimes with pictures, sometimes with little extra links, you know, video, YouTube videos embedded, all this sort of stuff. It's all there on that one page, grasstalkradio.com. So you go there, you're going to see a little banner that mentions the forum, and you click anywhere on that banner, and it'll cart you over there. And you can sign up. Right now, I said it's very quiet, and frankly, I kind of like that. I like it a little quiet. Sometimes it's just too much, too much noise and stuff going on, especially online these days. So all I'm saying is I invite you as a listener to this show to go over there, make your little account, and post a little something. If you don't have anything really you want to ask or anything, just jump into the GTR pub and uh, start a thread. And uh, we'll just see how this goes. If it's useful to people, I will continue it. And if it's not, like many things, you know, eventually it will just go away and you can forget all about it. All right, next bit of house cleaning before we get into the topic of rattles, buzzes, and twangs is, of course, to thank everyone who has purchased any of my downloadable instructional materials, which you find at bradleylaird.com. Plus, you find all the free stuff there. There's just, I don't even know. It's, a, it's like five or 600 pages of junk there. It'll take you a week to go through it. There are pages on there that I created five years ago, and I've never gone back and looked at. So a couple little things, if, if you're cruising around the site and you see a, a dead link or a misspelled word or anything like that, you know, uh, shoot me an email or jump over on the forum and tell me about it because, you know, I try to keep it cleaned up, but I can't every day go look at every page. It's just impossible. So, and much like these podcasts, I can't, I've been working on trying to go back and listen to podcasts to see which of these uh, listener emails I've read that takes a lot of time, and I'm working on the next one. I'm always thinking about the next gig. I'm not thinking about the last one, you know. Anyway, thank you to anyone who has purchased any of my instructional materials. That, too, is the fuel for the engine that keeps all this going, and it keeps sausage in the fridge and bacon and all those important life-sustaining nutrients you know, your, your three basics, bacon, beer, and sausage, you know, you got to have those things. And it buys a lot of dog food, cat food, chicken food, donkey food, all that kind of stuff. I, I sometimes think I spend more feeding these critters than I do feeding myself. I'm, I'm actually quite certain that's true. All right, I'm rambling as usual, but hey, you know, I've only killed 15 minutes in and you got that little fast forward button. You can skip ahead if you're one of those type of people. What else? Oh, there, and thanks to the patrons, of course. I, I saw a guy and I, 
I saw a guy recently um, reduce, because see, when you sign up for Patreon, you go to patreon.com slash Bradley Laird, and you can sign up and, you know, contribute a little recurring monthly um, sum and, you know, to say, hey, I like what you're doing, you know, and here's a, here's a little uh, jingle for your pocket to help keep this thing going, and that happens. But once in a while, somebody will come along and reduce their amount. Like, you know, I was given $5 a month, and and it they drop it down to $2 a month. And, you know, I feel for, for people like that. There, You know, there's your financial situation ebbs and flows, you know, fluctuates, as they say. I completely understand that. And it doesn't bother me at all. When I see somebody, you know, switch their amount from $20 a month to $10 a month, I figure, well, they must have some bills coming up and, you know, whatever. I'm just, I'm appreciative of whatever you do for whatever length of time you do at whatever amount you do. And I, I saw a guy on there who uh, just reduced his to zero. And I began to think, I wonder what's going on. You know, I was a little worried about the guy. Either, either A, he's, I've said something that disturbed him and he's mad at me, or he's got some kind of new, you know, financial obligations that preclude him from, you know, whatever it was, 10 bucks a month or something. And I was thinking, I need to go on the next podcast and just thank the patrons and thank him. And I always just usually say the first names only. So I was going to thank Brian and just mention him because he supported me for a good long while. And I appreciate that. And I also understand, even though I have no details, why someone might want to reduce the amount. I thought, well, I'll just thank him because, you know, he helped buy a lot of corn and uh, Super 12, which is that pelletized um, feed that I, I keep the donkeys uh, going on. It's just really a little treat for them. If I about 5, 6 o'clock every afternoon scoop up a quart of that and go out and dump it in their little trough, they're going to be standing there. It makes them easier to catch if you ever need to, you know, catch them for the farrier or anything. They, they like the sound of that rattling bucket. It's kind of like giving candy to kids. You don't want to give candy all the time, but a little candy, you know, you can at least get them. Okay, everybody, line up. Here's your candy, you know. That's what the donkeys do. Anyway, Brian did that for a good long while, and I appreciate that. And before I was able to get around to doing today's episode, I saw that he had signed back up. I'm like, maybe, maybe it's just because I was thinking about him. But anyway, Brian, I just want to say thanks in particular to you. And I don't have the list in front of me, and I would, I would name everybody who has ever signed up as a patron. Because it really helps. I'm telling you, it really, really helps. So thanks a bunch. If you want to become a patron, I, I this is partly why I'm doing the forum too. I'm not too keen on the way Patreon, like the interactions, like you could leave me a message and I'd have to go there and sign in all the stuff and see the message, but only I'll see it and only you'll see it. And that's why I did the forum. I just think it'd be better, if, you know, if you have something to say, Go to the little forum. That way, 
the entire group of us can see it, see my idiotic responses to it and, you know, whatever. It's just a place where we can talk to each other. I thought about Facebook groups and uh, I don't know. I'm just not a fan. I'm not a fan. Okay, I've killed 20 minutes, so let us proceed with rattles, buzzes, and twangs. Did you hear that? Big bam on the roof. It was when you got a tin roof. I'm out here in the tack room right now. One pecan can sound like a grenade going off. Oh, and boy, if we had the branches, limbs, and parts of trees coming down lately. The pecans, I think they just get loaded down with pecans, and they're, they're so big and old and ancient that they've outgrown their ability to, you know, hold up their own weight. Had a couple of big ones come down recently, so I've got a lot of little chainsawing and hauling work to do, and then had a humongous section of this crabapple tree right beside the house. I would guess that the, the part of that tree that fell probably weighs more than a grand piano. If you'd been standing under it, you'd be squashed like mashed potatoes. It'd be awful. But somehow that thing fell, and Jackson saw it falling. Thank goodness he wasn't standing under there. He saw it falling. It missed our air conditioning unit, which I just fixed. It missed it by one inch. I'm feeling pretty lucky. It's kind of like, you know, that story I told a long time ago about that. I was, you remember the story about the pecan branch falling right where my car was parked. And when I say branches, I'm not talking to branches. I'm talking massive logs, you know, 10 inches in diameter. They're heavy. All right, let's get on to rattles, buzzes, and twanks, because this is going to take a while. But once again, if, if you're listening to this and you're getting sleepy right now, because it is kind of boring, you can always hit that pause button and continue the following day. I got an email from a guy the other day who was working on learning claw hammer banjo and he's he's got his new banjo and he's he's got a bunch of my videos and he's just working away at it. And he just he sent to me, uh, he was concerned that his first string on the banjo sounded tinny. And uh, the other ones didn't. Now, see, the problem is with an email, I don't know what he's really talking about. It sounds tinny to him, but what does tinny, what's the definition of tinny to him? I, You know, if he came over to my house and said, here, take a look at this banjo, probably in a minute or two, I would have it pretty close to ironed out as to what's going on. But through the email process, I don't know. Because he asked me, do you think it's the strings? Or do you think it's the humidity? Because I'm, I think he's down in Florida. It could be the humidity. Uh, could it be, is it just the banjo? You know, those are very broad questions. And unless I've got the banjo in my lap, how the heck would I know? All I can do is give you some suggestions. So that got me thinking. And I wrote him a long email and so forth. And he has sent me back a humongous audio file. And I, I wrote him back. I haven't even downloaded that audio file yet. It was too big to get on my iPod. So I got to do it from the desktop. Anyway, I'm going to eventually help that 
fella resolve that issue or try to help. But it got me thinking, how many times has this thing, same thing occurred with my students and with myself? I picked up a mantle the other day. Jackson was working on a little project, and he wanted to create a lead mandolin uh, sample pack for his digital audio workstation. In other words, what he wanted to do was record every note on the mandolin, every note, four times. So you play the open G, dong, dong. Dong, dong. Then you do G sharp A, and you run all the way up and down every single string. And he would record all that, and then he would digitize it so that he could go into his electronic uh, wizard gizmo thing and program mandolin solos into this thing. So, just because it was handy, I grabbed up the first mandolin. He was going to record me, and I'm going to play him. And grabbed up the first mandolin that was handy. It's an Eastman 815 that I'd done some repairs on and so forth. A pretty good sound of mandolin. And I got all set up and I started hitting some notes and I'm hearing this buzzing. It's like a little irritating buzz. No matter what note I played, there was a little buzzing. I'm looking it over. I'm looking, you know, checking the tuner buttons, just looking at everything, shaking it, tapping on it. I said, Jackson, let's just grab my other mandolin. We'll get the flat iron. So set that instrument aside, pulled out the flat iron, and I recorded his samples for it. I'll probably later, he's finished that now, I'll probably later um, put a little sound sample on here and see what you, you know, see what you think of what he created. Uh, but anyway, as soon as I was done recording with that, I went back to the Eastman, I was like, all right, and I'm holding it in my hand, tapping on the neck, and I can hear a buzz. And so I thought, well, it's probably the truss rod cover or the truss rod adjustment nut. So check the tightness of the truss rod cover screws. They were snug. I went ahead and took the cover off. Then I got my little wrench so I could reach in there to check the snugness. I'm not really trying to adjust the truss rod. I just want to see if the nut, there's usually under that truss rod cover, a little brass nut and usually a washer. Well, if that thing somehow vibrates a little bit loose or humidity changes the geometry of the instrument, it's possible that that little nut could get slightly loose and that little washer can rattle in there. I put my wrench on there, I turned it a quarter of a turn before I felt any resistance at all, and I'm tightening it. And that was it. That's all it was. The thing had backed off sufficiently for that little washer to rattle in there. All I did was lightly snug it back up, put the truss rod cover back on. Sounds great. Rattle gone. So that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to give you a list of things to check with your instrument when you hear a buzz, when you hear something rattling or some twangy weird sound or something, something that's not normal to you. You know, you were playing it yesterday and it sounded great and you pick it up today and you notice this something, a little sizzling sound or a little vibrating sound or a little, 
Let's just talk about these things. And I'm going to cover them. I wrote these in the order from most likely to less likely to rare but possible. So as we proceed... The first things I'm going to talk about are going to be the most likely causes for rattles, buzzes, and twangs. And as we near the end, it's going to be the rare but possible. Any one of these, or multiple ones of these, could be the cause of your problem. But you don't know. But what, what I'm saying is you don't want to immediately think that... Uh, you know, the internal glue joints of your guitar are coming apart and you need to go inside and start looking around and with a mirror examining your braces inside your guitar and stuff like that. Because that's probably not the cause. So let's begin with the most likely possibility. And I don't care what instrument you're playing. Banjo, mandolin, guitar, fiddle, bass, dobro. The first thing you want to check are the strings themselves. You can have a string fail. And in particular, I mean wound strings. If the winding of the string becomes loose from the core, it can sound funky. So that's a possibility. So start there. If you have a new set of strings of the same gauge, same type, or let's, let's say you want to kind of eliminate, but before we get into the bad string, you want to decide if you're, obviously you're hearing this noise when you play a string. So play each string individually. Is it one string, some of the strings, or all of the strings. This will give you clues as to what may be the cause. If it's one string, you might just change that one string and see if it just went away. If so, you can say, bad string, problem solved. Okay? If it's some of the strings, well, it could be that multiple strings got weird all at once. That's actually not very likely. What are the odds that two strings would suddenly have, uh, you know, a problem? I'm just saying, check the strings first. So play them individually. If it's all the strings, every string makes the same noise, it's probably not the strings. So, your next thing are, consider in diagnosing this, the frets. Or in the case of even a bass or a fiddle, the finger positions you play up and down the fingerboard. It is very possible that you can play, let's say you're on the bass and you play your open G string. Boom, sounds beautiful. Then you go up to an A note and it buzzes. And then you go up to a B flat or a B and it doesn't buzz. See, that tells you a few things. It tells you your problems on the A. Now that would lead me to believe immediately that there's something going on where the string is vibrating against the fingerboard. You may have a little hump in the fingerboard, which could be caused by a little divot, a little low spot worn into the fingerboard underneath where you play that A all the time. 
But it, it tells you right off that it's not the end pin rattling or something. Although, it, let me say this little caveat. Everything I say could be false in this episode because some, there's a lot of weird gremlins with instruments. It could be that the end pin in your bass is vibrating, but it only vibrates when you play that particular A note because of resonances and sympathetic vibrations and things. But just logically check, start playing notes on the string, up and down the string. If your buzz only occurs on an open string and it goes away immediately when you start fretting notes or fingering notes, then it's logical to be suspicious of the nut. Doesn't have to be, but that's kind of logical. If it buzzes all the way up, you might be a little more suspicious of the bridge end or something else on the instrument. Next thing to consider in your diagnostic examination is the body of the instrument itself. I've picked up my bass before and played a few notes and it sounded like it was rattling or something. And I start tapping on it. I'm trying to, and I'm dampening, damping the strings with my left hand. I'm just sort of wrapping on it with my fingertips here and there. See if, is it the body of the instrument making the rattling sound without the strings involved? And many times it's something as simple as a loose end pin or I've had a few cases where it was actually a lamination, you know, the five layer base plywood base construction, a little strip of lamination is broken loose and it's, you know, a little sliver that you, where you bash the thing, throwing it in the back of the pickup truck. Just that little strip of wood had come unglued and it rattles a little and you glue it back down and everything's fine again. But also examine the body of the instrument. Look at it. Is there cracks in it? Has, you know, is there a split? Is there something going on with the body? Just have a look at it before you begin to go through this entire list of possibilities. The other thing you want to consider in your diagnosis is, is the sound intermittent or is it all the time? So if you can make it do it sometimes, but you can't make it do it other times, it's going to be harder to diagnose. You know, I'll give you that. So think about those things. Is it all the strings? Some or all? Is it certain frets, certain fret positions, or all fretted positions? They all do it. Look at the body. Look at the neck. Okay. That gives you kind of an overview. You want to look at the whole instrument before you start going through these things. So we've already covered now. You might have a bad string. Let's move on from that. Then The next thing is probably the most likely cause of buzzes, rattles, and twangs. And that is is loose parts. That could be screws, nuts, and bolts. Any kind of screw, nut, or bolt on your instrument potentially could be the source of your buzzing. And almost all instruments have them. Upright bass has, you've got your end pin screw. Sometimes they're little screws uh, holding on if you've got a wire tailpiece gut. Sometimes those little bolts uh, on banjos, it could be, I mean, there's God, how many, how many nuts and bolts on a banjo? One of them 
being slightly loose could cause rattling and buzzing. Truss rod cover. Those little tiny screws up there. It could be the plate of the truss rod cover itself is rattling. As I said before, it could be the, the nut on the end of the truss rod. The stuff that's external, it can be, you know, uh, like your banjo strap. If you've got one of these, and God forbid you have one of these, one of these banjo straps with the metal clips on the end of them, you just snap them on the side, that could be rattling or... I, there's a lot of cheap banjos that used to have a little, a little extra little uh, stud that stuck out of the side, mostly on old bottle cap banjos, and had a little stud out there with a little D-ring on it, and this is where you were supposed to connect your strap. Of course, most people don't actually use them, but that little D-ring could sit there and rattle, and I used to always recommend that people take a pair of pliers and just yank that little D-ring out, get rid of it. Because it's just, all it is is a, an ex, extra rattle. It's kind of like those little little small symbols they stick on the side of tambourines. It's just a thing to make extra racket. So what you want to do is go over the instrument head to toe. Look for every screw, nut, and bolt. Feel them with your fingers. Banjo brackets, go around and grab each bracket and see if you can wiggle it. Grab each nut on the back, and you may have to take your resonator off to do this if you're a bluegrass-type banjo player. Take the resonator off. Play it real quick. Did the problem just go away? It's possible it was your resonator attachment bolts. One of them got a little loose, you know, and sometimes they have a washer. You're looking for that loose part that's sitting there vibrating every time you play the instrument. So examine your instrument for every single nut and bolt and screw. Just, you don't have to, don't wrench down on them, but if you find one that's a little loose, snug it up just a little bit. Check your instrument again. You may have just solved your problem. That is the number one problem. I have seen this one on bluegrass banjos with a uh, standard uh, Presto type tailpiece. It's held on with one bolt. Right down there at the, the back end of the banjo, there's a little bracket or a hole or something that it attaches to. And there's about a, I don't know, two and a half inch, two inch long bolt that comes down from the back end of the tailpiece, goes through the hole, and on the bottom side, there'll be a little nut. Or there could even be a little small lock washer there. It's possible for that nut to, through the vibrations of you playing it, loosen up. And yet the tailpiece doesn't fly off because there's enough friction between the threads of that bolt and the little bracket hole it's going through that it manages to hang on. And you don't even know it's loose. So the net itself is not even holding the tailpiece in place. It's sort of this sideways wrenching motion. The string's pulling sideways on it and the bolt is trying to raise up, but it can't because of the, the roughness of the threads. That may be all that's holding your tailpiece on. I have seen banjos. Student comes over, and I'm just looking at their banjo. Take the back off and look, and the nut isn't even there. And it's held on only by the sideways tension and the friction. So if you're a banjo player, take a look at that nut, that little nut that holds the tailpiece on. And also, of course, check all your brackets. 
go in for banjo players, everybody with a truss rod cover should check the truss rod cover and the screws. Everybody with a truss rod. At least just check their snug. Tap on it. You can tap on the truss rod cover. Sometimes your screws are snug, but it's still trying to rattle. Sometimes just a little slip of paper stuck under there will stop that thing from rattling. But with the banjo, you also have the coordinator rods. So get inside there. I'm not saying adjust your banjo. I'm just saying feel the nuts. Are they snug? Can you just back them off? Like, whoa, that thing is like really loose. And if so, just snug them up a little bit. Look at everything that's screwed on. Dobros are full of stuff, too. I mean, there's screws all over a Dobro on that cover plate and on the tailpiece. And there's a lot of screws, nuts, and bolts. Check them all. Probably you've solved your problem already. Next thing to check for and this is particularly true in Dobros, and that is looking for junk inside the instrument. Sometimes a little crud is in the instrument, and every time you play it, it vibrates and makes this little weird sound. Dobros are particularly susceptible to that because of the resonator cone inside, and if you're playing it on your lap or even standing, the cone faces up. So anything that should happen to drop into it just sits in there. If you've ever, uh, just imagine this, you've, let's say you have a bongo drum and you drop a couple of grains of rice onto the top of your bongo drum or your banjo head. You can do this on a banjo. Take your banjo and lay it on its back and put a couple of grains of rice, dry, hard rice on top of your banjo and then play it on its back. And watch that rice bouncing up and down on the top of that head. And every time it bounces up and down, it's tapping on the head, making a buzz. This is what can happen with junk in your instrument. And you might say, well, I don't have any junk in my instrument. <laughs> you know, Ooh, look inside. You'd be amazed at the fuzz, spiderwebs, lint balls, uh, little wood shavings that have been in there since it left the container ship from China or <laughs> whatever. Junk does accumulate inside instruments, and sometimes, sometimes, it'll sit there and make little rattles and then go away. And that's why sometimes when I'm examining the body, I shake the instrument. You might have dropped a little uh, pick inside your guitar, or somebody that was trying out your guitar might have dropped your best pick inside the guitar and did it, didn't tell you and handed it back to you, and it wasn't rattling when they handed it back, and then. Three years later, you hear this rattle, and you look inside there, and there's that dadgum pick. It has moved to a new spot where it makes a little noise. So look inside. Turn it upside down if you got F-holes and, you know, round holes and stuff like that. Turn it upside down. Give it a little bit of a shake. See what falls out. You might be amazed. There could be some crud in there. Of course, you can also take an air compressor and don't blast it out at, you know, 200 PSI or anything. But you can blow a little air in there and watch what blows out the other hole. If you go in one F-hole on a mandolin with a little air, psh, 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 or you can get some of that canned air you clean your computers with, and watch what comes out the other side. It's, uh, there's a lot of junk collects in there. Sometimes you might have a little, um, well, th this is something I've actually seen, is a little blob of glue. Because when they glue the instrument together, 
We were talking guitars, fiddles, mandolins, and basses primarily. When they glue it together, that's the last time anybody's going inside that instrument. They glue that back on or glue the top on, whichever way they're doing it. And there'll be a little squeeze out of glue inside. And sometimes there's little balls of glue that are just dry and hard all around inside there. Well, and, and you're at a party, you know, at a little jam session, you bump into a picnic table with the corner of your guitar, and one of those little tiny hard glue balls that's a, a quarter of the size of a BB breaks off. Well, now it falls down inside your guitar, and it's like that grain of rice. It may not rattle today. It may never rattle. It may fall in with a, with a lint ball or something and never be a problem, but it can be. That's a source of this sort of thing. Take a look at that junk inside the instrument. I used to see this all the time, tuning pianos with grand pianos, especially because like the Dobro, the soundboard faces up candy wrappers, pencils, paper clips, Ugh. and they just lay on that soundboard. And every time they play, usually certain notes because certain notes make certain parts of the soundboard vibrate and other notes don't, you may notice that ah, every time I play a B note on my dobra, I hear this buzz. Well, if you look at the modes of vibration of the instrument and the, the cone and so forth, it could just be certain notes that cause the problem. But it could be junk. Check, see if you have junk in your instrument. I've seen brand new instruments. I saw a guy came for lessons one time, had a Chinese-made upright bass, probably the cheapest upright bass available at the time. Come over, taking lessons, rattling, buzzing. Oh, it sounded like it was awful. We take it out in the yard and get to looking in there. There was wood shavings, basically excelsior, like you're carving wood with your planes and these curls of wood and chips of wood and stuff you know, that accumulate on the floor, I think they used that for packing material. Like when they crate it up and they put the base in a big giant cardboard box or wooden crate or something, they use the floor sweepings as packing. Well, a bunch of that had gotten inside the base. So we get the air compressor out, put the hose in there and start blowing it out. I mean, I must have blown out two or three gallons of wood shavings out of the other F-hole. So sometimes it's just junk. Even a new instrument could have junk inside it. All right, next thing to look at are the frets. And of course, this only applies to fretted instruments. Play each note up and down each string. If it is one particular string, one particular fret that's giving you a problem, you're homing in on it, clearly. If you're getting a buzzing, let's say, let's say your banjo has got a little buzz every time you play the third fret of the first string. You go to the third fret, and, and that's probably not the most likely. Let's use the second fret of the third string. You put your finger on the second fret, third string, and you plunk it. It's got a little, little sizzle, a little buzz to it, not clean. Second fret. You go to third fret, sounds good. Go back to the second, it's got a little buzz in it. 
Well, that may be that your second fret is worn. It's worn out a little bit because your frets are designed to wear out. They'd rather you wear out the fret than the string. If that fret becomes a little worn, when you press it down to play the second fret note, it's lower than it used to be. And if you play the second fret a lot, which I know you do on the banjo, there are certain frets that get played a lot on guitars, mandolins, banjos. They never get played on a dobro. That's one good thing about a dobro. Never have to get a fret job. But if you play that second fret a lot, and you're mashing that steel string down against that softer metal fret, you're eventually going to wear it out. You're going to rub a little groove in it. But you won't on the third fret because you don't use the third fret as often. So the third fret will end up higher than the second fret. So when you play the second fret, the string vibrates and rattles against the third fret. So what I'm saying is, if as you're playing each note, you find buzzes at certain frets, but not others, take a look at your frets. Loosen up one string, move it to the side, get yourself a magnifying glass and look down there and take a look at those frets. You may have very worn frets, even though you may only have had a mandolin for a year, you may have worn frets. So look at them. And the solution for a beginner or somebody that has no experience with it is not easy, but the diagnosis many times is very easy. If you have a buzz and you've determined you think it's the frets, my suggestion is go find a good luthier who can really examine it and knows what they're doing, can find that low fret. Now, what, the, what they are usually going to do, well, they're Let's say you have a worn fret, and that's your problem. You could replace that one fret. It's possible. You could replace all the frets. That's possible. Certainly more expensive. You could do what is known as fret dressing, and that is the luthier will take all the strings off the instrument and use a flat file and level the frets. Any fret that's a little high gets knocked down, Frets that are low aren't being touched. So you bring them all down until you're just cutting into the tops of all the frets. You're seeing shiny new metal on every fret and you are flattening the surface of the frets. Now you've cut away a lot of the metal or some of the metal and they now have flat tops. So then the luthier will take a, a little a con, a concave fret file and go over the tops of each fret to restore their rounded, you know, like the roof of a school bus type shape. Round the tops. And while the frets are now a little bit lower, all your buzzes are gone. So that's generally what they do. If, if the frets just don't have enough height left to them, you know, you may be in for a partial refret or a total refret. But that's a possibility. Next thing that occurs sometimes are loose frets. Your frets may actually be fine, but they're held in with friction or sometimes a little drop of super glue. If, the, if a fret were to pop up and not be firmly seated down in its fret slot, 
it's going to be higher than the surrounding frets. And that does happen, especially after an instrument has been refretted multiple times. Older instruments that have gone through, you know, four or five sets of frets over the years, that little slot will get chewed up as frets are pulled out and new ones put in. And then they begin to rely on glue and things like that to help keep the fret in place, firmly seated. That's pretty easy to see if you get a magnifying glass and you go along examining your frets. Usually it's the ends of the frets that pop up, but sometimes the middle will pop up and you'll have a little arch in the fret. And you can see that. If you look very closely, you can find high frets that way. Of course, you can always take a straight edge, put it down your, your fretboard, maybe like a six inch ruler. You, sometimes if you use a really long ruler, like a 12 inch or something, because of the natural curvature of the, or potentially the curvature of the uh, fretboard, you know, it's harder to determine it. But if you get a little short, nice, high quality, like a star at six inch uh, rule, you can just go along section by section looking for high frets. If you're on a high fret, the, the ruler will rock like a seesaw. And you can get down and put a light on the other side and look for those little glints of light between the ruler and a fret, which will show you a low fret. You know, luthiers are really good at this because they've done it hundreds, if not thousands of times. You may have never done it, but take a look at it. You may have a popped up fret, which usually can be pressed right back in place. And if it's trying to pop up, they may put one little tiny drop of super glue in there as they squeeze it down, clamp it. And then it'll stay down and you're back good again. Uh, next thing to look at, and notice we're going from likely to least likely. Next are the nut slots. A lot of times when I've seen questions like this come up on, on various forums, somebody will immediately say, check your nut slots. You know, my first string is rattling. Well, check your nut slot. And I'm going to say, just in general, this is why I'm getting to it so late in this episode, nut slots generally don't change. They change when you put a file to them and start you know, raking away at them with a, with a nut file. But in typical usage of playing, why would they change? So they're lower down on my list. I don't immediately go to the nut slots. However, you need to look at them because maybe they have changed. Every time you tighten and loosen, let's say, a fourth string on a banjo and that string is moving through that slot, it's acting like a little file and digging that groove a little deeper. And maybe over a long period of time, it could change. But it's usually something else. But have a look at them. And a simple way to diagnose that is if you hear the rattle or the buzz or the twang on an open string, but then you fret it at the first fret or just slap a capo on at the first fret and all your buzzes and rattles go away, I would look at the nut. So nut slots are a possibility. But don't start just filing on your nut slots because you think that might be it. Um, ask a luthier, somebody that really knows what they're doing. That could be the nut slot. Um, on dobros in particular, I've seen uh, several dobros where the first string just uh, broke off, chipped off, and it was because they bumped the dobro into something. And that that's nut is really tall, and if you 
take a chip out of the side of that, you know, sometimes the string will just start falling out of the slot, you know. Anyway, take a look at them, but it isn't the first thing I look at. Next thing to check. Oh, and by the way, on nut slots, I will say this. If you have recently made a drastic reduction or increase in the gauge of your strings, like you used to use super slinky ultralights and you went to extra heavies or something, well, the string may not fit the nut slot in the same manner that it did with the other strings. So that's a possibility, especially if you've recently gone to lighter gauge strings then I'd be more, you know, interested in taking a close examination of the nut slots. And they are, it is possible. Normally, if nut slots are making racket, it's, I've usually seen it when the nut material itself was made of some kind of cheap plastic. And long-term, pressure makes the slot deeper, and pretty soon you're getting buzzing. So... Having a good hard material like bone or pearl will usually your nut will never change once you've adjusted it the first time. Okay, other end of the string, the bridge and the saddle, same kind of thing takes place there. However, on most of your instruments with wooden bridges, banjos, mandolins, not guitar, dobros have wooden saddle inserts, fiddles, that's wood, and that's not as hard as the nut material. So sometimes if you're playing an open, open string and you're getting a rattle or a buzz, I would be suspicious of the wooden saddle because that string is going to eat its way down into that really hard little ebony strip on top of a banjo bridge or your, your fiddle bridge or your bass bridge. Anything made of wood could compress and get deeper over time. So those slots, I would go to them before I would go to nut slots. Take a look at that. I've seen saddles on guitars where you got this hard piece of micarta or bone or something in there and you would think that wouldn't wear out at all. But you play that guitar enough and that string vibration will grind away at that saddle and create little grooves in the top. And sometimes that can be your problem. So have a look at that. Take a look. I would, once again, be suspect of wooden parts before I'd be suspect of bone or micarta or pearl. Plastic, definitely be suspect of. All right, next thing, and this is in particular response to the guy's question, could it be humidity? And yes, it could be humidity. But it's probably not. It could be, might not. See, instruments do change with humidity, certainly if you have a skin head on your banjo. And it gets really humid and your banjo gets really slack and the head sags. And now the strings are like half the distance that they used to be over the frets. And you play it and it sounds like crap. Well, that is humidity. So, yes, it can happen. Humidity can change the, it changes the size of the instrument. Your guitar swells and shrinks. Your mandolin swells and shrinks. So does the bridge, the neck. Yes, it can be humidity. In particular, if you're a player who likes a really low, easy-to-play action, then humidity is a possibility. This is why they make adjustable bridges. If, if you're one of those people that likes your action really low on your mandolin, and you begin to encounter noisiness, strings hitting the frets, 
you know, vibrating. You're playing the 10th fret and you're playing a note and it's buzzing against the other higher frets. Could be humidity. And that's why those little adjusting screws are there. Take a little tension off, give them about a half turn, raise them up a little bit, tune it back up, play it. Did you solve it? Very common on basses. Um, that's why they make adjustable uh, bass bridges, very much like the mandolin bridge, just a much beefier version of the same idea. Banjos, that bridge can go up and down, and if you're kind of in that low action camp, you like your instrument really low, and I'm like that, and you, if you're one of those people that like your action really low, you're going to deal with more occasional changes. It's just part of the deal. You, if you play with super high action all the time, you're probably not going to have any buzz and rattles. You will have sore hands and calluses that you know should be in the Guinness Book of World's Records, but you probably won't have a lot of buzzes because the string angle, as it leaves your finger, takes off at such a steep angle, it just doesn't hit anything, you know. So if you, if you want a really um, buzz-friendly instrument, just crank your action up really high and start working out, you know. <laughs> um, I like mine kind of low. Uh, but do consider humidity, and I suggest that you listen to episode 138, Humidity, on this podcast. Maybe you already listened to it. Go back and listen to it again. I talk all about how humidity affects the instrument. Uh, let's talk about um, back to banjos. You get these buzzes and rattles. It could just be your head. It's gotten loose because the plastic stretches over time. Or in the case of skinheads, not those guys, not them, you know, I'm not talking about them guys, the skinheads. I'm talking about your skinhead on your banjo. Humidity is going to definitely change it. So if it's sagging, if any banjo head is sagging profusely, your, your action is going down and you're more likely to have buzzing notes at various places on the fretboard. Check it. Tighten it up. Dry it out. Do what you got to do. And bring that head back to normal and everything's cool. You put a new banjo head on, just like a new set of strings, they're going to stretch for a while. And you're going to have to retighten it. Six months later, you probably need to retighten it again. But eventually you reach a certain equilibrium in that the, the mylar of the banjo head has stretched to its... It's just not going to stretch anymore. That <laughs> sounds like something George Bush would say. Um, then you probably don't have to fool with it very often. But take a look at that. If your head is loose and you can mash on it pretty easy with your thumb and watch that bridge go up and down, tighten the head. Another possible thing on banjos is you may have a, a split in the head. So sometimes it's hiding underneath the armrest. You may need to take the armrest off and look at it. I had one do that one time. Uh, Stumac five-star banjo head. Had it on my banjo about 10 years. And I Just hearing all this racket and noise, horrible tone. But the head still looked fine. And I took the back off. I look inside. It looks fine. Everything looks fine. Took off the armrest and there was about a three inch split in the head right under the armrest. Replace the head. Everything's fine. All right. Next thing is the possibility is the truss rod may actually need adjusting. And I don't mean just snugging up the little adjusting nut so it just doesn't rattle. I'm talking about an actual adjustment. It's possible that the the curvature or the relative flatness or whatever, 
however you want to describe it, forward bow, backward bow, flat, may need adjusting. These things do change over time. You may need a truss rod adjustment, especially if whole sections of your fretboard make buzzes. You can sight down it, and you can look at it, and you can, but when it comes to adjusting truss rods, I suggest if you're if you don't really know what you're doing when you turn that wrench, don't do it. Take it to somebody that really does know, that's done it many, 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 many times. Could be truss rod adjustment. Notice we're getting down to the bottom of the list, and so I don't immediately think of that, you know. Uh, I like if your base, well, you don't have truss rods on them on an upright base, but um, I'm moving down through the list and the things that are less and less and less likely. It's probably not your truss rod adjustment, but it might be. So if you've eliminated all this other stuff, think about that, you know. All right, and always do your checking of the truss rod with the strings on tuned up to pitch at tension. Because as soon as you loosen the strings, the shape of the neck changes. It springs back. You know, so you may have the perfect neck and then you tune her up and it's got a forward bow in it. And it's hard to play in, you know, certain regions of the fretboard, maybe, you know, seventh to the twelfth fret, make racket or whatever. Okay, now to getting down to the least likely causes of your rattles, buzzes, and twangs would be, and this is in the rare but possible, broken glue joints. Something has come unglued, either from failed glue joint due to humidity or little microbes eating the glue, funguses eating up your hide glue, uh, mold, you know, whatever, whatever eats hide glue. It doesn't last forever except under really pristine conditions or physical abuse. It got knocked, bumped, this, that. Or is just sitting there one day and a big split occurred. That's a possibility. When you were going back to my diagnosis section, looking at the body, you're looking for things like that. You're tapping on it. You know, if you got the strings damped and you're tapping on the back of your guitar and you hear this horrendous rattle every time you hit it right there, you may have a brace that has popped loose. The glue joint has popped loose because you bumped it into the end table. And it popped that little glue joint loose. And then it may only be separated by a tiny sliver. And you look inside, it looks fine. But it's not fine, you know. Four inches of a one brace inside of your guitar may not even be glued to the back of the guitar. Again, we're getting into territory where you need someone with experience who you trust to repair these sorts of things. But if you're tapping on your instrument and you've got the strings pretty much damped or maybe even the strings off and you've eliminated everything, and I forgot to mention, check your tuners. That's There's a bunch of little screws on your tuners and the tuner buttons and the little bushings that go around the, uh, the shaft of the tuner. Check all that stuff because they're very prone to being the culprit when it comes to buzzing loose parts. But let's say you've eliminated all that. Let's say you took the strings off, took the bridge off, took the tailpiece off, took the tuners off, and you're just holding your mandolin by the neck and tapping on the back, and it's rattling like crazy. Then you might suspect 
some kind of internal broken glue joint, something separated, something, you know, like that. Mandolin tone bars. They're glued on the underside inside the top of your mandolin. It is possible for one of them to come unglued. I've seen it once in a student's mandolin, had a, uh, a Chinese mandolin, I think I want to say Michael Kelly. Don't remember. I think it was Michael Kelly. And it just started making horrendous noise. And there are two bass bars, or two tone bars, inside a mandolin. And it was on the bass side, I think. Might have been trouble. Who knows? It was 50-50. Flip a coin. It was one of them. And it was just making all kind of racket. I could tap on it, just like, you know, just sound like slapping a, a yardstick, you know. Like, ugh. And I could see by holding it up to the light a little waviness in the top where it, it looked like the top was dipping down a little bit where the, where the bridge was pressing down on the top. And I thought, you know, I believe this thing is loose and got in there with a mirror and a light. And you could see that about half of the, I think it was the Bayside, tone bar was not even glued. It, it was at one point, but it wasn't anymore. That can be repaired. But again, you better go find somebody that knows something about mandolins to do that repair. Glue it back, properly glue it, clean all the old bad glue out, properly glue it and clamp it, put it all back together, and you're golden. Same goes for bass bars inside fiddles and basses. They can come unglued. I've actually repaired a bass that the bass bar came unglued, probably from damage of hauling it around, you know. One good sharp rap to the face of your bass, somewhere between the bridge and the bottom corners, could potentially pop the bass bar loose. And let me tell you, that was a, an ordeal to glue that thing back together without taking the pack off. But we did it. Me and my pal Tony, we did it in the piano shop. Solved the problem. Bass sounded beautiful. It was an old American standard. Um, another thing to look at is binding. I've had binding pop off of my uh, HD28. Just <laughs> I was playing at a lesson one time. I just looked down. There's this long strip of something hanging down. I looked, and the binding along the back edge was completely off from the from the end pin all the way to the heel, just dangling there. Like my binding just fell off. Well, if it was partially falling off, uh, you know, it's just a matter of gluing it back on. That could be the cause of your your troubles. You could also have cracks in the wood. So just really eyeball everything really good. And if you suspect that it's cracks in the top of your mandolin or your violin or whatever, take it to a luthier. Someone that you know who is, has experience with that sort of instrument and get it repaired. There's almost no wooden instrument that can't be repaired. They can all be repaired. They can be repaired properly or they can be hacked on and made horrible. Don't, you know, you, squirting Gorilla Glue into the crack is not the solution, okay? Just don't do that. That's it. I've finished. We've gone from the most likely to the rare but possible. And I would, I would um, 
mention one more thing that may not always be that rare. It could just be in your head. It could be in your mind. Sometimes a little annoying sound can start grating on you and you make it into more than what it really is. It could be your hearing aids. Maybe there's just one particular frequency that just drives your hearing aid crazy. You know, could be that. So get a second opinion. Like, say, hey, Bob, play this guitar. Do you hear what I hear? Play that third fret on the first string. Man, that's driving me crazy. And he's like, I don't know. It sounds fine to me. Could be your hearing aids. Could be your imagination. Uh, there are a lot of uh, little noises and, and little weird little pingy, uh, sizzling little things I hear on my dobro when I'm practicing at home. I don't hear them in the jam session, and nobody else hears them either. <laughs> so it could, you know, there are, could be a mental issue, could be an a hearing issue. Um, and last thing, I saw this, I've seen it, experienced it myself at a piano tuning. I'm tuning this grand piano in this home and working my way through, and I get to one particular note up in the, not all the way up in the treble, but kind of up there in the, uh, between, I don't know, somewhere around note 60. Playing a note. Buzz, buzz, buzz. Every time I play it, just buzzing like crazy. Mute off the strings. I got just one string. Play it, buzzes. I'm like, oh, man, what in the world is going on with this thing? Do all my usual checking of things. I can't eliminate that buzz. I finally discovered it was this gigantic three-foot by four-foot mirror. Gigantic mirror in a frame hanging on a wall right behind the piano. I just took the mirror and just scooched it around a little bit on the wall, played the note, no buzzing. So sometimes it's stuff in the room vibrating sympathetically that's causing the buzz. Take it to a different room, go to some different places and see if you could duplicate the same thing. You know, it could just be, you know, you left a, uh, a soda can sitting on your end table, you know, and it's just tuned to a B flat note. Every time you play a B flat note, the little can dances around on that glass tabletop and you think it's your instrument. Could just be that tin can. So consider at the, at the very end of this, could be your hearing, could be your hearing aids, could be junk in the vicinity. All right. This went longer than I thought. And I appreciate your patience. But I know how annoying these rattles, buzzes, and twanks can be. And usually, the problem is very simple. It's just a matter of finding it. So good luck. Hopefully, you're not having these problems. But I can assure you, if you play longer than two years before you give up and quit, if you play longer than two years, this will happen to you. So... Keep in mind, whatever number this episode is, if, if you begin to be annoyed by the little oddball sounds produced by your instrument, come back and listen to this one again. Y'all take care, and I will be back next week with another fabulous episode of Grass Talk Radio. See y'all later.